Welcome to Fountain Springs Online. At Fountain Springs, we believe in showing unconditional love, irrational generosity, and being unwavering in our mission to show people who Jesus is. We are one church in multiple locations that exists to help grow and guide your relationship with Jesus. We are so glad you've joined us today, and we hope that we can encourage, challenge, and support you in your walk with Jesus. Feel free to join us this coming weekend at any of our locations and services, or call or email us so we can help you in any way. We are so glad that you've joined us today at Fountain Springs Online. Now let's turn our attention to this week's message. I really love the song, No Longer Slaves, and the reason I, I just think it's so powerful for our church to be able to sing and declare that, um, that we are no longer slaves to fear because I feel like a lot of times as a church and as people that we can respond and operate out of fear in life, whether the circumstances that have happened in our lives and um, or whatever the case may be, that we can tend to, to be slaves to that fear. You know, something I'm reminded of in the song is at the end of the song when, when it talks about God splitting the seas, and us walking through. And it reminds me of a story in the Bible, in the book of Exodus, where the Israelites come up to the Red Sea and the Egyptians are following behind them and God miraculously splits the sea open and, and the Israelites flee through and they escape the Egyptians. And I think about times in my life where um, I've faced circumstances or different things that are fearful and um, knowing that God is my provision and he's there for me and cares for me is, um, is awesome. Yeah. Another huge statement in this song and a declaration that I feel just is really powerful is that we are able to sing out and declare that I am a child of God. And I know you have a, a kid on the way, and so just tell us about that and how that relates with your understanding of, of, of fatherhood. Yeah, one powerful reminder that I've been given a lot lately through this song is the fact that before we were born, we were loved and chosen by God. and. Um, before he even took a breath, he breathed his life in us and he knew our defects. He knew the problems we were gonna have or the choices we were gonna make, but that didn't stop him from calling our name and setting us apart. And in my life, I've been able to understand this at a whole new level because I'm gonna be a father soon. And my love for my son has been growing so much without even knowing who he is yet. Knowing that with Jesus at the center of his life, his Heavenly Father's company is the best place to be. And His Heavenly Father's voice is the one that He should be most familiar with. Because if our Father's voice is the voice that we're most familiar with, we'll know that God says that we're His masterpiece, mm -hmm. that we're chosen, or that we're set apart, or that we're children of a God that fights for us. I'm really looking forward to the years to come as we continue to grow together as a church and no matter what the circumstances may be, uh, the good and the bad, that we would um, embrace that identity that we've found that we are truly a child of God. You know, this phrase, I am a child of God, uh, sounds great. We love that song. I don't know about you guys, but I, I love that song. And uh, it has new meaning for me now, especially because when I listen to it, I'm reminded uh, in just a few, few, few short weeks, I get to meet my baby girl for the very first time. And I've just been dreaming about, you know, her and, and the next hopefully hundred years of her life and, and what she's going to be and what she's going to do. And because truthfully, 
we live in a, a time and a world where she can do anything she wants. You know, if she wants to go be a doctor or a teacher, an athlete, a musician, if she wants to be hated, she can go into politics. I mean, she, she can do anything. She can be anything. But the truth is, she is already somebody. She already has an identity before she's been born. See, she's, she's my daughter. And that's never going to go away. There's nothing she can do to remove that, which truthfully means that my identity is now her father. Regardless of what life has for us, those will never go away. We will always have that identity. And this song is so powerful because God is telling us that he's given us an identity before we were born, before we were anything, before we did anything. We had an identity. It says this in 2 Corinthians. And I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. I mean, right there he's telling us from the very beginning, you are my children, you are my sons and daughters. And truthfully, he even tells us, I want you to see me as your father. That is our relationship. That is our identity. That's what you are to embrace. And that's a a comforting thought because truthfully, so many of us struggle to answer this question, who am I? You know, we wander trying to figure out what sort of identity we're supposed to take on and, and defining this identity of ours. And, you know, if you ask psychologists, they would tell you that you need to figure out your identity. You are supposed to answer this question so you can get fulfillment in life. If you want to be happy, if, if you want to know what role you're supposed to play, or even your hobbies or passions, you should be able to answer the question, who am I? What is my identity? Well, I think, I think God didn't just know that we would care about that. It, it mattered a little bit more. See, I actually think God knew the importance of our identity, and it plays a lot more Uh, important of a role than just being fulfilled in life. See, I think God understood that uh, our identity would would influence everything in our life, literally everything. How we view things, how we hear things, how we read things, how we process all information would be influenced by our identity. And so he wanted to know right away, he wanted us to understand that we have an identity, and now before we get too far in, I really want us to understand what I'm talking about by identity because uh, that could mean a whole lot of things. So I did some research and I found what's maybe more of an academic uh, version or definition of the word identity. So I wanted to share this with you. Identity is the result of experiences creating values that influence our choices. It's pretty easy, right? Well, we'll say it one more time. Result of experiences creating values that influence our choices. The faster you say it, the easier it is to understand uh, it is a, a bit of a mouthful, so I thought the best thing to actually do would just be to split it in half. So we'll, we'll start with this top part, the result of experiences creating values. Um, let me give you an example. Uh, so my mom is the best cook ever. She's the best cook ever. Now, I believe that. That's a value of mine, a, a firm belief that I've had for a long time because I've had experiences that have created that value. See, there's some science behind how this works. A long time ago, uh, my mom fed me when I was hungry, and as I was eating this food, my brain responded by releasing certain chemicals. Uh, There's things like oxytocin and dopamine, uh, chemicals that make me feel good and happy and love. We all have them, and that's how my brain responded. So in this moment, I was quite happy. Well, then thankfully, a little while later, my mom fed me again, and the same thing happened. These experiences 
were causing something to happen in my brain, releasing these chemicals, uh, causing me to become happy. And it just happened over and over and over again to where pretty soon the memory of my mom feeding me would, would cause these emotions to come flooding into my brain and I would become happy all of a sudden. We have those memories and instantly we're back in those moments of just joy and peace. All of those experiences began creating a value in my life. But like I said, there's the bottom part that influence our choices. Now, I believe that my mom is the best cook ever. I would would guess that about 100% of you disagree with me. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure, in fact, most of you are thinking about who you know is the best cook ever, and you don't really care about my mom's cooking. This person's cooking is the absolute best, or you're even saying, Pastor Chris, I don't think you understand how good of a cook I am. I'm the best cook ever. See, just like me, we have all had these experiences that have created values in our life that now influence our choices. And this is just a, a tiny snapshot of what makes up our identity. So every experience that has created every value that influences all of our choices, that is our identity. Uh, But I wanted to take this just a a little step further. Um, So there's a verse I wanted to share with you, and and just to give you some context, uh, what this is is Jesus and his disciples are sitting down, and and his disciples are asking him, "Uh, Jesus, how do we talk to God? What what sort of conversations work with him? You seem to have a good relationship with him, so how can we really have this conversation? And Jesus responds this way, right here. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and and it will be open to you. Now, we are all reading the exact same verse at the exact time uh, in the exact same translation. However, I'm betting that a lot of us have different reactions to what we are reading right now. There's a lot of different thoughts going on in our head because our identity has kicked in. These experiences that have created values that now influence the way we are reading this. And if our identity was truly, I'm a child of God, we would see this and we'd say, Lord, thank you so much for that being true. I know that's true because I am your child and you've said it's true. Unfortunately, I think a lot of us are actually reading this with a bit of skepticism. Maybe a little bit of doubt. Uh, Maybe we're reading it thinking, I... I, (laughs) Um, that sounds great in theory, that's just not really how my life is bannered. You know, I really haven't done enough uh, for that to be true. God's never really opened a door for me. No one's really opened a door for me. I don't know why he would open any doors for me. I think a lot of us are skeptical when we read this. See, w- most of us would say we are Christian, we believe in God, and, and we follow his word, but uh, there's a problem when it comes to our identity. See, the problem is this. Most do not understand the identity God gave us. We, we listen to this song and we think, I'm a child of God, that's incredible, but we really don't know what it means. Or we've heard these things in the past and so we think, okay, God loves me, I like knowing that. However, we still tend to forge our own identity. We kind of take this journey in life where we answer the question ourselves, who am I, what is my identity? Uh, there's been different studies done over the past few years that have determined that actually most people uh, fall in line with very similar identities. Uh, they've discovered, in fact, that birth order is one of the most powerful influencers in what we identify with, what I- identity we embrace. And not everyone's going to fall in line with this, but about 78% 
is what they've uh, concluded. So most of us would identify with one of these. So I wanted just to, to walk through some of these. Uh, there's the firstborn, and some of us in here are, are firstborn, so we understand what this is. Those are the logical ones, the responsible ones. Uh, they're also the most competitive ones. However, they also tend to be a bit of, of people pleasers. Uh, it seems like firstborners, firstborns are the ones who will compromise and conform to what other people want in order to make them happy uh, because they believe that if someone else is happy, then they're getting love. You know, I watched my older sister, who is a firstborn, I uh, watched her struggle with this her entire life. Uh, she just thought, okay, if I could make everyone happy, if I could just make everything work out to where people are happy, then I'll be happy. Uh, and it really hasn't worked out that great but that's what she would identify as. That's the identity that has shaped her as being a people pleaser. Uh, but there's a few more. There's, there's the middle child. Uh, this is apparently the most loyal out of all the family. Uh, they tend to be the negotiators also, which makes sense because they're in the middle. And, and they also uh, tend to be the most uh, achieving people in the family, the highest achievers, uh, which unfortunately makes a lot of them become overachievers. You know, I can say I, I can attest to this one. Uh, I've spent most of my life believing I have to perform at a certain level or else I'm not good enough. You know, I, I equate it, and, and a lot of overachievers do this, we equate success with love and, and failure with rejection. Therefore, we need people to see us as successful, and we become overachievers that way. But we can't leave out the last born, the babies of the family, and I'm guessing most of you already know what this one's going to be like. Uh, they're uh, the social one, the fun-loving one, the life of the party, and of course, they... Uh, they're the attention seeker in the family. If any of you have a baby in the family, you know exactly what we're talking about, or maybe you are the baby in the family, and you're just saying, yep, that's exactly me, because you like people noticing you. Uh, you want attention. You've, you've began to believe that if you get attention, that, that equals love, so really good or bad, uh, you like the attention. Now, what I find fascinating is all three of these act completely different. Uh, they all have different mannerisms and, and just lifestyles, but all three of them also have one common factor. See, all three are established in fear. Uh, we're afraid of rejection or not being good enough or not getting the love that we think we need. We have let fear shape our identity. Uh, I, I found this extremely interesting uh, we're not born with fear. We are born with love. And what I mean by that is, is chemically in our brains, there are already connections that lead to love. We know how to love the second we're born. We don't know how to be afraid. They've discovered that's a learned trait. Uh, but we learn it pretty quickly. So at some point, something happens in our life where we become afraid or there's some sort of loss or pain or rejection and, and fear starts to, to grow and, and we just seem to let it continue growing. Most of us have spent a lot of our life giving fear permission uh, to not just grow in our, in our life and our mind but shape our identity and, and it can become dangerous when that happens. Let me, let me give you a good example. Uh, <laughs> My wife is not a big fan of swimming pools. It has nothing to do with swimming. She loves swimming. It has everything to do with these big pool lights at the bottom of the pool. You know, those really scary lights down there? Uh, they, they freak her out 
because when she was six, she was swimming in a pool with her cousins, and she was just getting the, uh, you know, the courage to go deeper in the water when her 10-year-old cousins decided to play a trick on her. Uh, they told her that those big pool lights at the bottom of the deep end were actually shark hunters, and uh, her feet in the water were sharks to those shark hunters, so they would attack her. Uh, they then spent the rest of the time like diving under the water and, and going after her feet. And it sounds exactly like something a six-year-old would believe and a 10-year-old would do. And sounds like something that it's like, okay, that's in the past. Obviously, she knows now that's not true. However, 21 years later, she's not a fan of swimming pools. She has that memory again whenever she thinks of them, and her brain responds to that memory by sending those same chemicals that caused fear in her life. And so she knows, I'm guessing, she's a smart girl, she's probably deduced by now that those aren't actually shark hunters. But the truth doesn't always matter. See, this is the most dangerous thing when we give fear permission, and that's this. Our fears can overpower the truth. Now, most of us are probably thinking, no, I'm not really that afraid. That's not what runs my life. I haven't fear or let fear have that much permission. However, it's really revealed in how we read God's word. So I want us to read that Luke verse again. And I want you to, to really ask yourself, okay, is this coming from a place of confidence? Or maybe, maybe it is coming from fear. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Again, we... We should be reading this saying, Lord, thank you for that being true. But I think a lot of us struggle reading this thinking, you know, I've, <laughs> I've asked for so many things in my life and I haven't gotten it. In fact, if I want something, I have to go do it myself. I, <laughs> I don't just get stuff. I've been searching forever and it never seems like I have an answer. I've had doors slammed in my face constantly. I don't know why you'd think that they'll actually be open. I don't know what I've done to deserve this being real. Or, or maybe that's for some people. Maybe that's how God works for them. It's just not how it works for me. I don't have that type of a relationship where he just gives me stuff like that. Or maybe some of us are even more afraid thinking, I don't know if I want him to open the door. Because if I have him open the door, then he's going to have this conversation with me and ask me about all these things that I've done and all these mistakes that I've made. And I really don't want that to happen. I think many of us come at it from a place of fear instead of love, instead of knowing what God is saying, and instead of buying into the truth, we have let fear overpower it. You know, they've actually discovered recently, just with neuroscience, that uh, our thoughts can change our physical brain. I, I want to say that again. Your, your thoughts can change your brain, and the thing they have realized is that if we focus and dwell on you know, negative or fearful thoughts, it'll actually harm our brain. We could be causing damage in our brain by, by letting these fearful thoughts continue to grow. And now that's cutting-edge science, but it's also something we've known for a while. You know, in Hebrews, it told us this. Keep a sharp eye out for weeds of bitter discontent. A thistle or two gone to seed can ruin a whole garden in no time. This is why 21 years later, my wife still doesn't like going to a pool. I mean, she knows the truth, but she's still a little afraid. 
That's why you hear stories of people who, you know, they fall off a horse and they never get back on, or these near-death or drowning experiences, they never do that activity again. Fear overpowers the truth, and now some of us, while we believe in God and we try and follow him, we're trapped in our own bodies and brains by the fear that we have continually given permission to grow. The great news is that's not how God designed us. See, it's not just a cool lyric in a song. The truth is this. We do not have to become slaves to fear. I actually think a long time ago, God realized that we would be susceptible to this, that we would tend to let fear continue to grow in our life, so he wanted us to know right away, no, no, that is not how you were designed. You were not designed to let fear take over. In fact, he told us this, for you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. But you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Now this sounds great. <laughs> I mean, we are sons and daughters. We are children of God. But, but I don't just want us to hear that and think, wow, that's great. I want us to really understand what that means. I want us to be able to embrace that identity. So I want to hone in on this word right here, adoption. Because adoption has changed a lot in history. You know, today when, when we hear adoption, uh, we think of this family who has the ability to take in this child whose parents weren't able to take care of them. And so we hear that God adopted us, and we think, oh, that's great. Uh, you are willing to, to call me a member of your family. You are willing to bring me in. God, that's so wonderful. But it, but it goes deeper than that. You know, in biblical time, they would use adoption for something different. If someone was uh, you know, in debt or they owed someone a lot of money, what would end up happening sometimes was that person would be adopted by whoever they owed money to. And by being adopted, it would wipe out their debt. They wouldn't have to owe anything anymore. They would be just wiped clean. So we think, God, you, you not only called me into your family, but you wiped away my debt and my sin? That is incredible. I don't deserve that. But truthfully, it goes even deeper than that. See, Paul was writing this to the Romans, and Paul was a Roman, and adoption was a little different in their time. Adoption in Roman culture was used primarily by the elite. Uh, powerful families would use adoption to continue and better themselves. So say there was a family who had acquired a lot of wealth and power, but they didn't have any children. They would adopt somebody to make sure they could pass their fortune on. But it wasn't just anybody. They would literally pick the best possible kid. They would choose only somebody that was worthy of being handed off all of their money and riches. You had to be proven worthy if you wanted to be adopted. I'm guessing most of you have never heard of the name uh, Gaius Octavius Therinus. Uh, he's not around anymore. And unless you're a Roman history buff, it's just a random name to you. See, Gaius uh, was born a few years before Jesus was. And he was born to this powerful Roman family. And, and as he grew up, he was excelling in school and the military training he was given. And his uncle uh, took notice. His uncle, during all this time, had acquired just a ton of power and land in Rome, and, and he wanted to be able to pass that off to somebody because he had no kids. So Gaius' uncle decided, okay, you have proven that you are good enough, so I'm going to adopt you so you can have all of this stuff. 
Now, what, as is custom back in that time, Gaius Octavius changed his name. Uh, he changed his name from Gaius Octavius to Augustus. Uh, and then also, as was custom, you'd, you'd no longer used your parents' last name. He took his uncle's last name. His uncle happened to be Julius Caesar. I'm guessing we've heard of that one. So Gaius Octavius Therenus became this guy, Augustus Caesar. We know him now as the first Roman emperor, one of the most powerful and important men in all of history. He was around when Jesus was around. He had proven himself worthy, and so that's why he was adopted. I think that's why this adoption is so important in our life, because God has already told us, no, you are worthy. See, the truth is this, your adoption means you are worthy to possess his blessing. And that's not uh, based off of what you've done in life or some ladder you've climbed or how you've achieved or the people you've pleased, the attention that you've gotten. He deemed us worthy because we are his sons and daughters. That is who we are. It's not what we've done. It's an identity that will never be taken away from us. And God wants us to not only understand that, but to embrace it. Uh, well, there's some of us who are probably like, that sounds great. That's just not how my brain is wired. I don't, I don't really think that way. Or maybe I've just gone a little too far towards the, the pessimistic, the negative side. And, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, thankfully, you actually can. Uh, you know, they've discovered that you have the ability to change your brain in a positive way. Way. There's top neuroscientists that have gotten together and they've created uh, a set of exercises for people because what they've stated was that most of the thoughts we have during the day, we aren't even aware of. We don't know we're thinking them, but they've created these exercises to make sure we can take control of those thoughts and if they are negative or fearful or, or any sort of you know, painful memory, we can actually focus them towards the good. They are telling us nowadays that we can actually control our thought life for the better. But I think that's something we've all heard before. We take hold of every thought and make it obey Christ. He didn't just tell us this because he thought it would be good advice. See, God knew that we would start to walk down this path leading to fear where we, we had the possibility of becoming slaves to fear and he wanted us to know, no, no, no. That's not how I created you. That's not who you are. And he told us you were given a spirit of adoption. And every thought that you have should reflect that. Every time you hear something, everything you read, everything you see should go through this filter of I am an adopted child of God. Every thought we have should be based in that. And another wonderful thing is we know as that continues to happen, uh, we'll actually start to fear stuff less. <laughs> uh, there was uh, one neuroscientist in particular who was having this discussion. Uh, her name was Carolyn Leaf. And she was explaining how uh, one of the hormones in our brain called oxytocin, it's, it's the love hormone, actually has the ability to break down those chemical connections that lead to, th to fear. Uh, the way she described it was we have the ability to unlearn fear. 
Uh, maybe the, a better way has already been said, like this. There is no fear in love. Perfect love puts fear out of our hearts. You know, I gotta be honest with you, I'm loving the fact that modern day science is finally catching up with the Bible. God did not make us to end as slaves. He created us children of his. And he wants us to not just to hear that in passing, he wants us to take hold of that, to know See, like I said, he knew how important it was that we had this identity. God knew that everything would be influenced by our identity. Not just what we see and hear and how we react, but how we view ourselves. Some of us struggle with viewing ourselves in the right way because we don't fully accept that we are worthy of God's blessing. But he knew that that would happen, so he made sure we understood the truth. It would change the way we view us, the way we view him, the way we view people around us. Our identity has the possibility of changing everything. And God wants us to embrace that. You know, I think the, the thing that's really gotten me the past few weeks is that someday my daughter is going to read that same verse. And she's not going to struggle with wondering if that's true in her life or thinking, I just don't know if God would do that for me or, you know, I don't know if I've done enough for that. No, she's going to know that it's true because she's an adopted child of God. That he's brought her in to his family. He has paid her debt and he has deemed her worthy for all of his blessings. The same spirit, power, and blessing that was on Jesus Christ while he was here. We have right now. My daughter will know that's who she is regardless of what she does in life. Whatever she ends up being, that's what her identity is. We have the opportunity, opportunity to not just embrace that, but to help others embrace that same identity. I want us to, to read this verse one more time, and, and I, I want you to, to really reflect on how you react to it. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. I mean, let's be honest with ourselves. How many of us are looking at that thinking, I don't know. If that's you, it's okay. God has not given you a spirit of slavery leading to fear, but a spirit of adoption. And he wants you to know that and he'll make sure you know that. So we as a group of people can finally embrace that. Let me pray with you. Dear Lord, it is incredible what you have done in our lives. Someday we get to go to heaven and be with you. We get to stand at your feet. We get to, to see you face to face. We get to know a life where there is no pain. We get to spend eternity with you, Lord. But but you actually wanted here to matter also, so you made sure we knew. You made sure we knew who we were, that we were children of yours. Lord, it's interesting, slaves do not have the ability to possess things. They can't inherit stuff, but children can. So I pray that we are a people who embrace our identity. And in fact, I... Lord, I feel like there are people in here right now that are just struggling with this idea of, I, I don't know if that's me. 
So if there's somebody in here tonight, if there are people that are in here struggling with this but want to make this decision that yes, I want to own that as my identity, I want you to pray this with me. Lord, I'm sorry I have not accepted the identity you have given me. I'm sorry I didn't understand it. So Lord, I'm thankful for your grace and compassion. I'm thankful for your love and patience. And I'm thankful that you have deemed me worthy to be a part of your family. Lord, I want to be a part of your family. Thank you for letting us be a part of your family. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, I, I don't want anyone to leave yet. I don't want this just to be something where it was like, oh, that's cool. I like the fact that we're children of God. I, I want us to not only embrace this, but really act on it. So we're going to sing that song one more time together. But I want you to take a step in confident faith. If this is the identity you want, act on it. Uh, each one of you has a, a connection card in either your seat back or the seat you're sitting on. And what I want you to do is I want you to take that out, put your name on it, and mark this moment. Whether it's the first time or the hundredth time you've accepted and embraced, okay, Lord, I am your child. I know what that means. And I trust that what you're telling me is true. As we sing this final song together, I want us to embrace our identity in a way that is going to change how we view everything. That's the blessing God has given us. So let's do this together. We just want to take a moment and respond to that truth, knowing that we are a child of God. And so whether you made that decision today for the first time to follow Jesus, or you've made that decision a long time ago, we just want to declare this together as a church. So if you would, let's sing this together. I'm no longer slave. child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Sing that again.
Child of God. 